grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to talk about miracles. And in particular, whether you know a miracle when you see it. I think we have this idea that, well, a miracle is just obvious. When it's there, you know. It's like when you get a, a rare glimpse of a bald eagle. Like some of you remember this summer, we were out at the chapel on the beach during worship, and it was 4th of July weekend, wasn't it, Chip? It was 4th of July weekend, and literally, as Dr. Nunes started preaching, two bald eagles swooped down. It was the most American thing ever. I was like, what a miracle. It's obvious. But are there also miracles all around us constantly that maybe we fail to have the eyes to see. It's those little glimpses like a, a fresh snow on the week of Christmas or looking into the eyes of your child, your grandchild. Those moments, those little miracles which maybe we don't recognize quite so easily but which are miracles nonetheless. Today's gospel has me thinking about miracles. It's undeniably one of those bald eagle variety type miracles, right? The angel Gabriel is sent from God and comes to Mary and announces that she is going to be with child and not just any child, a very special child indeed. Clearly, this is a miracle. But Martin Luther, in his commentary on this passage, he says, in fact, there's not just one miracle, there's three miracles that are going on here all at once. And in fact, the one that we might not even recognize as a miracle, he says that might be the greatest one of all. In fact, that that is the miracle that applies to you and me no less than it applies to Mary. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. The first miracle, the first miracle, he says, is perhaps the most apparent one there in this particular text. And that is what we call the virgin birth. That here, Mary, who has never known a man, that now she is going to be with child. Whoa! This is a miracle, if ever there was one, that Mary is going to give birth. We heard it this way, as uh, the angel Gabriel says, Greetings, O favor one, the Lord is with you. And you notice her response? She's troubled by that greeting. What is this? This is often the response that people have when they meet angels in the scriptures. They're not, hey, it's angels. They're, ah! So Mary says, what sort of greeting might this be? The angel goes on, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which, as Matthew tells us, it means the Lord will save his people from their sins. Now, there's so much to say about the virgin birth, but I want to draw your attention to one detail in particular about this and its significance for us. And it happens as later on as Mary questions, how will this be? And Gabriel responds by saying this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Kind of an interesting way of putting it. But when the angel Gabriel puts it that way, he's hearkening back and he's alluding to an important moment in the Old Testament, in Old Testament biblical history. That word that he uses, overshadow, is only used a handful of times in the entire Bible. And one of those times is back in the book of Exodus. Now, when we think of the book of Exodus, the first thing that probably jumps to our mind is 
The Exodus, right? People getting pulled out of Egypt, out of slavery. There's all of the plagues and going through the, the Red Sea and the giving of the Ten Commandments. That's all there. That's all awesome. And that's only the first half of the book of Exodus. Pretty much the whole second half of the book of Exodus is building plans. Okay? It's architectural renderings, and then it's a construction project. Because God says to the people of Israel, he says to Moses, that now they have been brought out of Egypt. God says to Moses, now I want you to build a tabernacle for me, that I may dwell among them. I want you to build a tabernacle for me, that I may dwell among them. So having redeemed his people out of Egypt, God says, I want you to build this tabernacle. And so the whole second half of the book of Exodus is all about God giving the instructions to Moses and then them finally building and erecting this tabernacle that now this is going to be the place where God is going to dwell among his people. It's a big deal that God is going to live among them, that he's going to be present in their midst. And so it all leads up to Exodus chapter 40, which is the, the last chapter of the book. When finally the tabernacle is finished and it's move-in day for the presence of the Lord. The cloud is there and the glory of the Lord. And it says that this cloud, this presence of God, overshadowed the tabernacle. The same word that the angel Gabriel uses. That here, this is God's presence sanctifying this dwelling, making it holy. That here, God is now going to have an address. That he is going to live among his people in the tabernacle. So what does it tell us then when the angel Gabriel uses the same language to describe what's going to happen to Mary? He's saying that now that divine, holy presence of God is migrating from the tabernacle to Mary's belly. <laughs> that now the holy place is not going to be in a temple. It's not going to be in any place built by human hands. But now that holy dwelling of God is going to be in Mary's womb. That God is going to dwell with his people as he always desired. But now in this even more acute way through a cute kid, presumably. <laughs> through the presence of this miraculous baby born to Mary. Oh, if ever there was a miracle, it's right here that Mary is going to give birth to a child, even though she was in all likelihood just a teenager, not even yet married, but now a miraculous baby is coming. So what does Martin Luther have to say about this? He says, oh, this is a miracle, no question about it. But he says, really, it's a mere trifle to God. It's a mere trifle to God. And why is that, Martin? Because he says, look, God is the one who called all creation into being simply with his word. Let there be light. Boom! And there was light. This is no big deal for God to, to cause a baby to be born to Mary. I mean, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Don't get me wrong, he says. But it's a mere trifle. God can do much greater things than that. Which leads us to the second miracle. So the first one is the virgin birth. But the second one follows from that, that this child to be born to Mary is going to be the Son of God, that he will be at once both God and man. And so Gabriel goes on. He says, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
Oh, what a miracle. It's what we call in theological terms the incarnation, okay? Literally the enfleshment of God, that now God is going to wed together humanity and divinity in his son, Jesus. Now, of course, this week is Christmas, so I'm going to have a whole lot more to say about the incarnation. Come back Thursday, Friday, next Sunday even, as often as you want, really. Come, and you'll hear more about this incarnation this week. So this morning, briefly, I just want to reflect on on three causes that brought us to this point of the incarnation. Okay, The first one is that it's just the logical cause, which is to say, okay, Mary, human, is the mother. God, the Holy Spirit, is the Father. Bring that together, and here you have the Son of God. You have Jesus, not as some kind of hybrid. He's not a liger or something like that. But he is fully God and fully man at the same time. So on the one hand, this is just a uh, kind of the logical extension of that, that the Holy Spirit comes together and overshadows Mary so that this child is the divine child. But the second animating cause is what we might think of as the biblical one, which is to say it's this promise that God had made from ancient times. And we heard it in our Old Testament reading. It was alluded to by Gabriel. It's the promise that God made to David. And he had said to David, David because first David came to God and he said, hey, I want to build you a house, God. <laughs> and God's like, David, okay, do we need to go over this again? I'm God. I don't need a house. That's very nice of you. But, you know, my tabernacle, my tent that I have is great. It's actually got a rain cover over it. Just kidding. Uh, but he says, I don't need this house. All right, David, I am going to build a house for you. And, of course, the Lord is using that language in a more metaphorical way. Not a physical home. But he's going to build a dynasty for David. That David, one of your sons, is going to sit on this throne forever. I'm going to establish his kingdom eternally. Now that promise is fulfilled in an abbreviated way through David's son, Solomon. But even more so through this divine child born to Mary. Through Jesus, he is the fulfillment of that promise that was made to David. And it's, it's the case here, as we see so often in the movement from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Oftentimes in that movement, the Old Testament speaks in metaphorical terms. And then in the New Testament, the metaphor becomes a reality. There's this kind of escalation that happens here. Or we could put it this way, the word becomes flesh. See? And so God makes his promise to David that he is going to have a son to sit on his throne. That's fulfilled in the near term with Solomon, but ultimately It's pointing forward to this divine Son of God, Son of Mary, our Lord Jesus. And so there's this biblical cause that brings about the Son of God. But then thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, it's God's own heart that brings this about. It's God's own heart. And what I mean by that is we see from the very beginning of the Scriptures that God's deepest desire is to dwell with his people. Think again of those words that he said to Moses when they were going to build the tabernacle. Build a tabernacle for me that I may dwell among them. That's what God wants the most, to be with his people. And all of the tabernacles and all of the sacrifices and all of that, it was not enough. So finally, in the fullness of time, God stepped forth through the womb 
of Mary, that now in the incarnation, God's heart is being fulfilled and revealed in the birth of the Son, Jesus. So this is the second miracle that we have here. And, and this is the one that I think generally we would say this is truly the greatest miracle, God dwelling with man. But Luther says there's one more. Not only the virgin birth, not only the incarnation, but he says there's a third miracle here, one that's often overlooked and neglected, but that in fact might be the greatest miracle of all. And that is Mary believed it that Mary actually trusted in this word from the angel Gabriel, that she, nobody that she is, is going to give birth to this child. Now in response to that, you and I might have a couple of objections to the esteemed Dr. Luther, okay? The first objection is probably this, like, okay, Marty, can I call you Marty? Okay, um, listen, you're saying that it's a, the greatest miracle of all that she believed but how, much, how strong was her faith really? I mean, after all, the angel Gabriel announces this to her, and the first thing out of her mouth is then, yeah, so how will this be exactly? <laughs> we hear that, and we say, well, wait a second. Isn't this just a, an expression of, of doubt, that she doesn't really trust in the word of God? How strong is her faith really if you're going to say that this is the, the greatest miracle? But Martin comes back to us, and he says, well, listen, you need to notice a couple of things here. First of all, when Mary says, how will this be? This is not the skepticism of the scientist. This is not the doubt of the unbeliever. Instead, this is the believing curiosity of the child. That Mary believes what has been promised to her and she's just filled with wonderment. How will this be? And we have a deeper sense of that when we contrast Mary with Zechariah. You remember Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. And when he gets an announcement from the angel that says his wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear a child, Zechariah, he does. He kind of rubs his chin and he says, uh, how can this be? He says, how can this be? That is an expression of doubt. He's not so sure. Yeah, that doesn't seem very likely to me. And the angel says, oh, really? Now you're not going to talk until your child's born. How about that? It strikes him dumb. But when Mary says that this is not an expression of doubt or skepticism, but instead of wondering faith, how will this be? She trusts that word from the angel. But we might have another objection from Marty, and it's, again, a natural one, where we would say, okay, now, really, this is the greatest miracle, granting that she did, in fact, believe it. How could you say that that is a greater miracle than the virgin birth or the incarnation? And Marty responds and says, okay, look, guys, you know I love my hyperbole and my exaggeration. Am I stretching it a little bit? Probably. But you need to recognize this, that Mary is a nobody. And how likely would it be for her to hear this word and to say not only that God is going to be born a man, which could certainly be the case because God is all-powerful. He's able to, to cause the birth of a virgin. But still, how is it going to be that this child is going to come to me? That he is going to be for me? That God is going to be not only with us, but for us? That he cares about us? That he looks on us? How could I really believe that? Oh, but she does. And that is an incredible miracle, Marty says. 
And here, to understand more of, of what he's trying to express, I turn to another one of the great wise sages who I often look to for wisdom, and that's Bill Murray. And Bill Murray, in addition to being probably the greatest actor of our generation, I'll just put it that way, <clears throat> comedy actor at least, he also has a, an interesting habit that maybe some of you have heard about this before. So Bill Murray loves to show up in the most unlikely of places. And there's all kinds of stories about this. You can look on the internet and you'll find things like somebody was at a coffee shop, they're working away on their computer and they, and they went to go to the bathroom and then when they come back, there's Bill Murray sitting at their computer typing an email. Or other people have said, you know, we're at a party and it was like a family thing, it was kind of a private thing, it wasn't a big deal. And then who should walk into the door uninvited but Bill Murray. And there's all kinds of stories like this. And every single one of them ends the same way. With at the end of the night, Bill Murray, who doesn't just hang around for a couple of minutes, but hangs around for hours, if that's what it takes. At the end of this unexpected, unlikely arrival, he always says the same thing. You know, nobody will ever believe you. <laughs> because who would? What would Bill Murray be doing at our family party? Why is Bill Murray sitting at my computer? Nobody is ever going to believe this. Now, imagine you're Mary. And she doesn't have Bill Murray come to her. She has the angel Gabriel and says that you, Mary, random person in little out-of-the-way town, you are going to give birth to the Son of God. Who could ever believe it? But know that this is precisely how God works. That this is how he reveals his heart. His actions uncover his character. See, his deeds depict his deepest desire, which is to look on the nobodies, which is to lift up the lowly, which is to be with us in all of our weakness, in all of our doubt, in all of our wondering, and to say, here I am. And here I am for you. Listen, this is a miracle that applies to you and me, no less than it applies to Mary, perhaps even more so. How could we believe that God is with us and for us? In times like these when we might be filled with doubt and wondering, God, where are you? What are you up to? But still he is faithful. Still, he is present with us and for us. If we have eyes to see it, the miraculous is all around us. In fact, you don't have to look any further than to look in the mirror and to see that here is a beloved child to whom God announces to each and every one of you, O oh, highly favored one, I am with you. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.